I, uh, I, I, I tell the church often, they, and I, I remind them, it's, you know, it's just that uh, my background is construction, concrete. I lived in the East Bay, and uh, I enjoyed it. was doing that for six years. I was on an all-Christian concrete crew. It was great. It was, it was just great. One day, we were in Martinez, the company that I worked for. We were, we were building homes on a hillside, and they were beautiful. I mean, it just good company, and of course, the concrete was exceptional. Hey, serious. The city of Walnut Creek, the city of Walnut Creek, thought we were the best concrete crew in Northern California. I'll give autographs later on. But it, it, was, it, was, really, it was really fun. It, 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 was a, it was a lot of fun. The, uh, the company that we worked for, there were three brothers. And the youngest one, well, he, he just kind of got off. He, he got into little things here and there that he wanted to do. So one day, I had, a, uh, I had an assignment. I needed to take my Massey Ferguson 30B, my tractor. I loved that thing. Instant reverse transmission, Gannon box on the back and a whole bit. I just fly with that. It was great. They wanted me to do some clearing on the, on the pads. Again, working on my way up the hill. And I got, to, I got there and I went to the first pad that I needed to work on. And here sat a 57 Plymouth. Now, this is, this is you know, late, late 70s, but here it was. It had no wheels. It was stripped from the inside. I thought, how dare somebody? I took note that the body was in good shape. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to teach somebody a lesson. I've got a five-ton tractor. I tore that Plymouth up. I smashed it. I ran into it. I mean, I ripped stuff. I did everything. And then found out that that youngest brother was going to be customizing that body. He, all, he was always tooling around in, in, the, uh, in the mercury that he, that he built. You know, he customized and everything. I'm fascinated by this, that I never got fired for that. I, I mean, you know, I, I think the down deep inside, the two other brothers were kind of smiling. <laughs> but the point is this. I came along, and I had my way with that vehicle. I mean, I had so much fun. Now, I want to tell you something. Since the garden, we have an enemy, and he's been having so much fun. But because of what Jesus Christ did, God's people can rejoice in this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's act like it. This is the most important message on earth today. Because again, there's coming a time 
There's nothing more important than the gospel. Praise God for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God for the cross. Look once again, if you would please, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Lord, I pray that you would take this time and use it for your glory. I pray that if there is anyone that doesn't know you as Savior, that they will come to know you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. He said, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Now, you've got to understand Paul. The world Paul, the world Paul is speaking of is the world that he knew before he met Christ on the road to Damascus. All the ancestry, the Jewish ancestry he had, his traditions, the zeal for the law, the world in which he had lived. He said, it's crucified to me. It is not hard to learn what captures a person's attention. I invited one of my neighbors to come today. and He said, I'm sorry, uh, I'll be watching the masters. Well, masters, I'm sure is good. How many golfers we have? Raise your hand. No golf. Oh, you got to go. Okay, good. How much, how much money have you wasted? I mean, uh, how, no, no, it's all right, brother. I could, I could, I could never, I could never graduate from putt-putt golf. So I just, you know, that's the way it is. But the fact is, there are so many things that we can get wrapped up in. It'll get our attention. The fact is, what a person desires, listen please, what a person desires will control his or her life. What you believe about life will justify to you your continued desire. You know, this last Wednesday, we heard a fantastic message by an evangelist that was with us. It was, it was great. We, Sunday through Wednesday, Caleb Garraway. Wednesday night, he preached out of Revelation 4 and also 5, two sets of verses of two. I'll read from Revelation 4. You need not turn to it. But this is a scene that has not yet taken place, but we will be part of it. This is future. Christian, we will be there. Verse 10, the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, verse 11, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure 
They are and were created. Now listen to me. You were created for the pleasure of God. That's why God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we who have trusted Christ, we need to remember this. He is worthy. He is worthy. If a Christian believes the greater focus of his of life is meant for pleasure and fun, it'll show. It'll show. If a believer sees life as a gift of God to be used as the Lord sees fit, again, it will show. Because that Christian believes he is worthy. Paul's life had one goal, the glory of a particular cross, the cross of Christ. I want to give you a little bit of history when it comes to the cross. The first known practice of crucifixion, fixing a person to a cross, was done by the Persians, Alexander the Great and his generals brought the practice back to the Mediterranean area, to Egypt and Carthage. The Romans picked up the practice from the Carthaginians who developed a very efficient and skillful manner of using it. During Jesus' time, the vertical portion of the cross called the stipes, was a permanent fixture in the ground. It was there, it was extremely heavy, it was fixed, and it was there to stay. The horizontal portion, called the patibulum, was placed at the top in a notch. A patibulum weighed about 110 pounds, and the condemned had to carry this from the prison to the place of execution. A titleus, a small sign stating the man's crime, was usually carried at the front of the procession and later nailed to the top of the cross. Paul, after he trusted Christ, kept coming back to the cross. He kept coming back to it. He wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22. He said, for the Jews require a sign. The Sikhs, the Greeks, excuse me, seek after wisdom. Now, now stop and consider, this, this is not surface stuff. He is citing deep culture. The Jews had a habit. If there was truth, God would send a sign to mark that truth. It's true. The Greeks, on the other hand, they spoke much to each other. There were some deep thinkers. And so he says, listen, the Greeks seek after wisdom. And indeed, they did. But then Paul says this, but we preach Christ crucified. Now understand, 
The Apostle Paul was somebody who, when it comes to the Jewish religion, I mean, he was there. He was in it. He was, uh, we would say today, he's up to here in it. And he was. But when it comes to Christ, after he met Christ on the road to Damascus, and the Lord turned him around, and ultimately that man went from Saul to Paul. He says, when it comes to what the Lord showed him, we preach this. We preach Christ crucified. Well, what kind of effect does that have, Paul? He says, I'll tell you, under the Jews, a stumbling block. The Jews could not accept that. Under the Greeks, foolishness. Ah. And from that time till now, the world sees this message as foolishness, unless the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and by the Spirit of God goes into the heart of man and gets man to realize you must understand that cross is there for you. It was from that cross that Christ cried, it is finished. He didn't cry, I am finished. He cried, it is finished. Literally, it is paid in full. We don't sing, Jesus paid it half, half to him I owe. We sing, Jesus paid it all, but all to him I owe. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. In other words, hey, Jew, hey, Gentile, he is the epitome of what you seek. That's what it is. A, a study of Saul who became Paul is fascinating. The more I studied this, it, it was just, it was really something. For, for us Christians, you know, we have to admit, we get so used to reading him, so familiar with his remarks that, that often we don't take the time to consider just what took place in his life to the point that this man that was so rabid and, and chasing down people that he would eventually embrace and having them put to death and scourged and put in prison that man did such a 180. It's fascinating to read. The Judaizers, here they were, and he, he said, listen, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. The Judaizers, they emphasized circumcision. This is what set us apart. Paul boasted in the crucifixion. The crucifixion and the rising of the Savior. He gloried in the cross of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that he gloried in the brutality. He gloried in the suffering. What he was looking at was this. He gloried in Christ. Because knowing this as a Jew and knowing the Old Testament and recognizing finally what Christ did, the Jew could not see 
a crucified Savior. They still pass over Isaiah 53. They hate it. They don't want Jews to read it. They can't understand it. They don't want people to study it. But we know. We know. Who hath believed our report? We have. So why would Paul glory in the cross? I want to give you three points quickly. Number one, he knew, oh, he knew the person of the cross. Jesus Christ is mentioned at least 45 times in Galatians. That means on average, one-third of the verses contain some kind of reference of him. See, Jesus Christ captivated Paul. Paul was not just fascinated. He absolutely gave himself. He is worth listening to just because of what God did in his life. We have to transport ourselves back to that time, seeing a man who grew up at the feet of Gamaliel, who learned so many things. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. We look at other people and we think, wow, you know, they're so learned. They know so much. Boy, they, I mean, they, they are experts at this. That was Paul. That was Paul. But this changed him. Jesus Christ captivated Paul. Christ made the cross of all things. Christ made the cross glorious to him. Listen to this. Paul, in going back to his early times as a Jewish rabbi, wrote this in Galatians 1, verse 13. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals. I mean, I was there and I, yeah, I was, I mean, it was pedal to the metal. Being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. In Philippians 3, he shared this with the church at Philippi. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, I just finished up the book of Leviticus this morning. I praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you get to reading the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers and you see the law and all, the, all that they took place, oh, my soul. Lord, thank you. It is paid in full. But Paul said, when it comes to that, I'm blameless. I am blameless. I kept it. I kept it. But then he says in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, all that, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. In fact, he goes on to say this, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of what, Paul? Of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Why? And do count them but dung, that I may win 
Christ. Now that's stunning for a man who had so much. After he met Christ, all that self-glory was now garbage. It was rubbish. It was nothing. The legalists, the Pharisee, the Sadducees, they could not glory in Christ because they did not know the glory of Christ. They gloried in Moses. And oh, by the way, they gloried in themselves too. They got the glory, not Christ. That's why they needed to do away with him. Paul knew the person of the cross. Number two, he knew the power of the cross. To Saul, the learned Jewish rabbi, a doctrine of sacrifice on a cross was preposterous. You've got to be kidding. That the Messiah would come, he had no doubt, but that he would come to die, especially to die on a cross? That, there, there was no place for Saul for that. That did not fit his theology. You know, there's many things today when it comes to religion, it doesn't fit what they want. Mostly because people are not, they're not worshiping God, they're worshiping self. They have become their own God. We're seeing the results of that in our nation today. You stop and consider. I wish you would read a little bit of history and recognize what took place back at this nation's founding and going forward from there. Oh, there was sin. But my soul, there was revival. There was the preaching of the cross. There was the preaching of Christ. But then it began to wane. Life got too easy. Money got too plenteous. Both of those things are about to change. And suddenly there are going to be those that realize they have nothing. Let me tell you something. With Christ, you can have everything. But he wrote in Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So again, God come in the flesh there? I don't think so. Yet Saul experienced the power of the cross. And he became Paul, the apostle. And his message was this. Christ died for our sins. You see, to Paul, in knowing the power of the cross, he recognized this. Number one, that meant liberty. It meant liberty from self. In Galatians 2.20, we cited this during the time of prayer this morning. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is liberty from self. I don't know about you, but one of, one of my more frequent prayers is this, Lord, save me from myself, and praise God he has. Not only from self, but also from the flesh. Galatians 5, verse 24, 
and they that are Christ have crucified, there's that word again, crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. The world goes after it. The believer knows that everything we can see, you look around, everything, including the sky that you'll see when you walk out and the sun that shines, that is temporary. There's coming a new heaven and a new earth. And then he sets us free from the world, as we see in our text in Galatians 6. So he knew the person of the cross. He knew the power of the cross. Thirdly, he knew the purpose of the cross. Now, take note of this, if you will, please. Take note of this. This is what Paul knew. The cross crucifies the world to believers. The cross crucifies the world to believers. The world has all kinds of attractions, all kinds. And men lust after attractions, position, power, acceptance, recognition, wealth, possessions. But again, we need to remember, there's nothing that lasts eternally. The only thing that lasts eternally is who sits in these chairs right now. And you are the focus. I am the focus. Because we were created in the image of God. And we were created to live forever. Can I give you, can I give you something that maybe you haven't thought of? You are going to live forever. There will never be a time that you cease to exist. That's Bible. Right now, if you don't know the Lord, you don't want the place that you're going. But I've got news for you. That can change. That can change. The person who believes in Christ will never die. They'll never be separated from God. They'll never taste, experience eternal death. We are now the people of God. For centuries, that was the Jew, not now. We are the Israel of God. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that God is finished with the nation of Israel. Doesn't mean that. After the rapture, my personal belief is this, that the focus is going to be on Israel, that heavy focus, because God is not through with them. And just like old times, there will be a focus. Do you realize that since it became a nation. One-third of all the activity that goes on in the United Nations has to do with Israel. Satan makes sure of that. God defends them. Sinners, oh, yes. You know, even now, they're trying to keep it where Christians have a difficult time spreading the gospel in Israel. 
One day they will look on him whom they have pierced and they're going to realize just who he was. We have to remember this. In Christ, there's no distinction. Jew or Gentile doesn't matter. Galatians 3, 27, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, that word baptized, baptismo, means to take something and place it in another place so as to change its identity or how it was impacted by that first, change that forever. Water baptism is a picture of that. We immerse ourselves in Christ when we're saved. Been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But secondly, listen, the cross crucified believers to the world. When a believer dies to the world, he turns away from the attractions and the pleasures of the world. The believer then becomes unattractive to the world. The world does not like us. It's amazing that in a nation that was founded on religious liberty, God's people are having to fight more than ever to have the freedom of religion, not the freedom of worship. That's not what the Constitution gives us. What they try to say is you, whatever you do within your own four walls, you know, you just have at it. But when you walk out, sorry, you've left your freedom. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. We have freedom of religion. And it's a fascinating story behind that but that's for another message. The point is this. The world will never be the believer's friend. We're seeing that take place. Romans 6, 6. Why? Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. There's that crucifixion again. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Why? That henceforth we should not serve sin. The world doesn't understand why we don't want to get involved in that. A person who refuses to serve sin is anathema to the world. And yet, what's so sad is God's people so often try to get the world to like them. We'll take your music, we'll take your jokes, we'll take your activities, we'll do whatever we do. You know, we're just like you, we just have Christ. No, we're not like them. We're new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Thirdly, the cross creates a new man. Look at verse 15. We're almost done. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. The new creation, the new creature is the church, the body of Christ. 
The old creation, that was headed by Adam. That failed. That sinned. The new is headed by Christ. That succeeds because he paid the price. To the Romans, Paul explained the doctrine. Two Adams in Romans 5, the first Adam disobeyed God, brought in sin, death, judgment. The last Adam obeyed God, brought in righteousness, brought in life. That's why when we share the gospel, sometimes in Romans 5, we'll, we will use this verse, Romans 5, 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign by one, Jesus Christ. Now here's the challenge. There are people that have trusted Christ, but they've grown old in the Lord without growing up. And it gets to the point where, you know, there's some of this that is written in the word and on paper, we're we're not grasping it like we really could. And we need to. Because whether or not we like it, the world around us is changing. Has anybody noticed? How about those people that try to persuade us that they have our best interest in mind, where they look at us through the cameras and they say, you know, you're not going to own anything in a few years, and you'll love it. Our whole culture has been built on what I can get. And all of a sudden, people start getting nervous. I've got news for you. We're not praying for culture. We're praying for Christ to come and take us home. We are rejoicing in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The sabers are rattling right now. There is a look of war in the future. By the way, that war is coming. And there will be someone that will step in and say, I can show you the way, and they'll love that. No, we're not looking for him. We're looking for him. He'll meet us in the clouds. He promised it. He said so. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Look at verse 16 in Galatians 6. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. See, the Israel of God is the church. That's who we are. We are the new creation. Peter said, told us, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. That's believers. Believers today may not be Abraham's children in the flesh, but they are Abraham's seed, Galatians 4. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Paul knew it then, and it's the same way today. 
we need to remember that. According to the Apostle Paul, when it came to what the Lord did for him, there was a unique aspect that he took note of. Look at verse 17, last verse, almost the last. From henceforth, let no man trouble me. And he says this, for, my, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The Greek word there for marks is stigmata, where we get our word stigma. For him, this is what it meant. It was a mark back then that identified a slave as belonging to someone. Paul said, I belong to Christ. He wasn't talking about scars from the whippings or anything like that. He bore the marks, as it were, of belonging to Jesus. In closing, I'd like to take us again to the future. Could you go to Revelation chapter 5? Revelation chapter 5. We have looked at the cross of Christ. I praise God for it. Because of that, one day, this will take place. And again, we will be there. Revelation 5, would you look at verse 11? And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands. In other words, there's a whole lot. Saying with a loud voice, once again, What's the word? Worthy. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Christian, please listen. If he was worthy, there. He's worthy now, right now. Because we too bear the marks of the Lord Jesus. We read, and I, I, I don't think everybody has a copy of this, and that's okay. I'm going to read this. A man by the name of A.W. Tozer used to write a column for a religious magazine many decades ago. We read at the 10.30 time, we read most of this article. I stopped, I did not read the last two paragraphs. I'd like for you to listen carefully. I want to read the last two paragraphs. If you've got the paper, go ahead and read it silently as I read it. He wrote, something entitled, The Cross is a Radical Thing. And in the last two paragraphs, he wrote this. We, speaking of Christians, we must do something about the cross. And one of two things only 
we can do. Flee it or die upon it. And if we should be so foolhardy as to flee, we shall by that act put away the faith of our fathers and make of Christianity something other than it is. Then we shall have left only the empty language of salvation. The power will depart with our departure from the true cross. If we are wise, we will do what Jesus did, endure the cross and despise its shame for the joy that is set before us. To do this is to submit the whole pattern of our lives to be destroyed and built again in the power of an endless life. And we shall find that it is more than poetry, more than sweet hymnody and elevated feeling. The cross will cut into where it hurts worst, sparing neither us nor our carefully cultivated reputations. It will defeat us and bring our selfish lives to an end. Only then can we rise in fullness of life to establish a pattern of living, wholly new and free and full of good works. You see, what a person desires will control his or her life. Whether or not we do what Christ said, if you'll follow me, you'll take up your cross and follow me. What you believe about life will justify your continued desire. If a Christian believes the greater focus of life is meant for pleasure and fun, it will show. If a believer sees life, the gift of salvation, the believer sees life as a gift of God to be used as the Lord sees fit. Again, it will show. What does the Bible say? I'd like for us to bow our heads if we could right now. 